This episode of Today in Ohio has been edited since it was originally published to remove one of the conversations. We learned after publishing that our discussion was based on an incorrect interpretation of legislation pending in the Ohio legislature regarding the Ohio Lottery Commission. Realize we're a little bit more than a month away from Memorial Day. That's how close we are to summer. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston. It's a Friday on the podcast. Lots of good stuff to talk about, including more wacky animals toward the end of this episode. Did Akron police way overstep by using tear gas to disperse a peaceful protest? Why aren't police offering any evidence of their claims that they were under attack when all the video to date on social media shows the opposite? Layla, up until now, Akron police largely had seemed to handle this thing pretty well with protesters, but it seems like it broke down completely on Tuesday night. Yes, and on Twitter, the city said that just before 8 p.m. on Wednesday, officers were having bottles thrown at them from marchers, and that's when the orders to disperse were given. But so far, the police have been unable to provide any evidence that that was the series of events. Police and the Summit County Sheriff's Department, which also had officers respond to the scene of the protest, are are planning to review all the officer-worn camera footage to figure out what really happened before tear gas was first fired. But it appears that not every officer in Akron wears a body camera, so they really have a lot to sort through here. The the protesters say their event was very peaceful until officers arrived in riot gear and started deploying tear gas and pepper spray. Everything just sort of devolved into chaos after that. It sounds like there were also children in the crowd, which really makes the officer's conduct even more egregious for the protesters if if that's really what happened. And About 10 people were arrested by the end of the night for vandalism, willful fleeing, drugs, open container, weapon charges, things like that. Yeah, but the problem is if if there were no bottles thrown at the police and they just decided they were going to disperse the crowd, we got a real problem. And, you know, these are the folks that have claimed transparency, transparency, transparency. We're putting up the entire investigative file to show you that the police shooting of uh, Mr. Walker was justified. And here they have sprayed tear gas at people. And, you know, tear gas is horrible stuff. It really caused suffering. And if a kid gets it, you can only imagine they won't show. They, you know, they, they said on Twitter, we had bottles thrown at us. And it, it's throw the flag here. If you have it, show it because nobody's buying this. All the video we see on social media and everybody who's saying they were there is saying it's just not true that they're lying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will hand it to the police chief that he seems like a reasonable person who understands the consequences of of actions. He, He refrained from characterizing any of the events of the night and said, you know, before I explain what happened, I need to be sure of the timeline. And he said, if information is released prematurely and without the facts, that misinformation could cause irrevocable damage. So I'm not sure who sent the tw- the tweet that that immediately jumped to the conclusion that the the police were being abused by the protesters. But it doesn't sound like it was the chief who who put that messaging out there. He said he's going to make information available as soon as he can confidently determine what happened. And no. and he said if, if mistakes are made that you know were made that the department would learn from that. So I I. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, the chief you know has what? been pretty level-headed through this entire thing, but but there are so many unanswered questions, and he should he needs to answer them soon. You know what? If the, if bottles were thrown, an officer with a camera would say, "Hey, I got the video. Here it is." They'd put it out. This isn't complicated. Either bottles were thrown and they can show it or they weren't and they got explaining to do, but, but they should be much more upfront about it. I think it's, it's bizarre, you know, and then there were, there were windows broken later that night. The crowd was very upset about how they were treated. If the police irresponsibly provoked that crowd, it's a, it's a bad day for, for Akron police. They should, they should come forward. They should resolve the situation. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Have Ohio lawmakers turned against firefighters and paramedics? Why did Ohio lawmakers kill a plan to provide money to help critical care workers pay for child care? Laura, child care is a big issue for you. It is a big issue for me and for the economy, I would argue. And this was a special part of Mike DeWine's proposed budget that would take $150 million and provide child care for roughly 12,000 children of critical care workers around Ohio. These are the people who do the community work that makes our our lives function. And so it was supposed to come from federal coronavirus aid, one-time payments to those workers who make less than 200,000, sorry, 200% of the federal poverty line. That has $60,000 per year for a family of four. So a pretty modest amount of money. The lawmakers didn't give a reason really for why they take this out, just said they have different priorities and the budget is a you know a living working document. They didn't touch a different proposal for 160% of the federal poverty line. That's $48,000 for a family of four that would apply to anyone, not just those critical care workers. So it, it's, it's a, you know, a gap that they chose not to fill. Well, after they abandoned the flat tax and and taking money away from local government, they they had some more adjusting to do. This obviously was something they took out of it. I'm sure it disappoints those workers. Although, yeah, everybody would like to have some childcare help who pays for it. Right, and I mean the, the businesses actually are pro, are for this. The Ohio Chamber of Commerce wrote a letter that was signed by the Ohio Manufacturers Association, Ohio Restaurant Association, Ohio State Medical Association. They want that the stuff passed because they want to be able to have workers come to work, and in order for that to happen, they need reliable childcare. All right, and you're listening to Today in Ohio. Do we actually have officials serving on the board of our regional planning agency who reject overwhelming science and claim that climate change has been ordained by God? And Lisa, do they win tinfoil hats and avoid traveling so that they don't fall over the edge of the flat earth? And it's like, why did they even bring it up? But anyway, discussion during a committee meeting on the NOACA climate action planning document that would tap into billions in federal funds for climate pollution reduction. Uh, people in, invoked the God in their discussions about this uh, plan. John Plecknick, the Republican Lake County Commissioner and also a CSU law professor, says, I believe in God, not Captain Planet. And he says that uh, climate change is not settled science. 
Adam Frederick, a former Republican Medina County commissioner and an alternate on the NOACA board, says, I don't think we can save the planet. We just need to be good stewards of God's environment. And he doesn't believe climate change is man-made. He says the left has proposed an agenda of global (laughs) man-made catastrophic climate change, and I don't believe in that. On the other side of the discussion, Dale Miller, who's a Democratic Cuyahoga County commissioner, says, you know, all of a sudden it's fashionable to talk about your belief in God. And he says, I strongly believe in God, but if we humans mess it up and don't save the planet, God isn't going to step in and clean it up. And I will point out that both Plecknick and Frederick did approve recommending this document to the full NUACA board. And Plecknick says, you know, even though I'm not comfortable with the wording, I'll vote with it for it because we need the money. How, how can we have people that deny clear science in charge of regional planning. It boggles the mind. This is not a matter of debate. The, the, the science is absolutely positively certain that we have caused climate change. There's no doubt about it. It is proven beyond belief. And you've got people sticking their heads in the sand saying, well, I don't want to believe it, so I'm just not going to believe it. It's fine if that's their personal belief, but how in the heck do they get on a board that determines the fate of a giant region? I can't help but wonder that this is virtue signaling to their constituents or whatever, because they ended up voting for it. So they complained about it, but they voted for it. So I feel like they are, there was some virtue signaling going on here. Because they yeah. wouldn't have gotten the federal money otherwise, right? Like, right. Yeah, it's just, it's the whole idea. If I say something that's not true enough, it forces a false equivalency of the reporting, which we reject. I mean, we we say clearly in the story that this is balderdash, that the science is clear, there is human-caused climate change. It's got nothing to do with some God's will. It's crazy that, that, that these folks are have a hand in forming policy in Northeast Ohio. How, how, do, these, how do they get appointed to NUACA? What's the mechanism for that? Are there automatic seats that, I mean, each county gets appointments to it. Um, I I guess, I mean, uh, Chris Chris Renane and Justin Bibb, I know, they they serve on it, right? So I I think it's defined, like certain people from certain positions from each county. Well, and you have to have all five counties represented. Um, It's a a really big group, and they have all sorts of subcommittees and advisory councils. So it's a large swath of people, but... Yeah, you, you have to wonder, like, shouldn't we have people who believe in science deciding where we spend our money on our roads and transportation? Can, can, can you imagine what it was like for thoughtful, intelligent people to be sitting at that meeting <laughs> while one of their fellow members is going off on there's no climate change, it's God's will? You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why was a meeting of the Cuyahoga Arts and Culture, which doles out taxes to arts groups, controversial this week, Laura? Well, because we've talked about this in the past, the mechanism of which they give out a very small amount of their total money to individual artists. So CAC is this public agency that collects and distributes cigarette tax money for arts across the county. And it appears to be moving towards this idea of offloading the management of this controversial grant program for the individual artists so that it would no longer be picking the people who get it. It would be the Assembly for the Arts, a nonprofit new arts council that would actually decide who gets this money. So the goal is to come up with recommendations on how to administer their entire $400,000 annual budget 
and then figure out those grants. And the mission of the Assembly for the Arts is to provide unity in the city's cultural sector. But this didn't come with a lot of harmony in Kumbaya. Apparently, this meeting got so testy that people were talking over each other, fighting over the three-minute time limit for for comments and declaring the meeting out of order. Yeah, I, I feel bad for the people on this commission because it's like the people who run the the um, market on the west side, the west side market. The, the vendors are always going to be crabby no matter what you do. The artists are always going to complain about how this board operates. And they've, they, they used to have a serious lack of transparency, but they've been working to very, very clearly articulate what they're doing. It's just, you can't, please people. And so they're constantly dealing with this kind of bickering. It does seem like a good idea. Like if it's been so controversial and so fraught and they're getting so much pushback, then if there's another group that has the artist trust, that's willing to decide where, who gets this 1.9% of the total budget, then it sounds like a win-win to me. Like then, then they do it and everybody's happy. Yeah. It's just everybody in that realm is never going to be happy. No. And and the the issue that Steve Lip brings up is that, you know, voters have to approve this. And I think they're then organizing for the next renewal vote would begin in 2024. 2027 is when the current levy expires. So they just don't want a lot of bad feelings because they want to be able to keep keep up this program and keep us paying. I think it's 30 cents on a pack of cigarettes. Not well, and the, they want to add vaping. They right. want to add the tax to vaping. So that that's a big change that we'll, voters will be dealing with. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How did a guy from Cleveland, a self-described Joe Biden, while sitting in a state prison, run a substantial Worcester drug ring? Layla. I'm sure Joe Biden is so flattered by this drug dealer comparing <laughs> himself to the president. But uh, 45-year-old Charles Daniels is one of 17 people charged in a federal indictment this week. He's accused of running a Cleveland crew that continued to supply fentanyl to street-level dealers in Worcester after he was sent to prison in 2017 for heroin and fentanyl dealing in Wayne County he was considered the main dealer out there at the time, and he has a really long rap sheet. Rap sheet. The, the indictment says this guy, who was known as Quick or Q, used two other people, both with prior federal drug dealing convictions, to run his operation on the outside. They, they did this from October 2020 through just this past February. It's unclear which facility he was in while this was happening, but records suggest he was he might have been in the Ohio State Penitentiary in Youngstown, which is a super maximum security prison. So that's just astounding that he could pull this off. And here's how prosecutors say it worked. Daniels recruited drug dealers from Wayne County and hooked them up with his drug suppliers, two guys from Cleveland. Those two got their drugs from a third guy. The Wayne County drug dealers bought fentanyl from the two suppliers in Cleveland and suburbs, including at a giant eagle in South Euclid, Walmart in Mayfield, Mayfield, and a CVS in Lyndhurst and its street corners in Cleveland. Then the dealers used Cash App to send Daniels a cut of the drug money for each transaction. It turned out to be about $1,700 total. He threatened people from his prison cell. He directed drug deals as he headed into solitary confinement. And on one recorded phone call, he bragged about how productive he was comparing himself to President Joe Biden. He said, just call me Joe Biden. I'm Mr. Get It Done. <laughs> I, I, 
I thought he might have said that because he was somehow using his son's personal computer to run the business. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he used the money to pay for phone calls from the jail and, and items from the commissary. So, you know, life on the inside of the clink here is what... Uh, <laughs> Well, and all those phone calls are supposed to be monitored. So if you're arranging, maybe he talked in code. Fascinating story. Be. It's it's not the first time somebody has run a criminal enterprise from behind bars. But from a so. maximum, super maximum security <laughs> prison. <laughs> yep. Indeed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, we knew the price hike would be steep, but not this steep. If people don't make their own deals with other companies in the next month or so, how much will they be paying for power with First Energy? Yeah, this is real sticker shock. Starting in June, the rate will be 12.4 cents per kilowatt hour for people who are on the standard service officer office offer. That's up from the current price of 5.9 cents per kilowatt hour. So that's a 47% increase in your bill. And that's much higher than the anticipated increase they were looking at of 10.2 cents per kilowatt hour. So over two cents more than that. And that was what they predicted just last month. So Public Utility Commission of Ohio spokesman Matt Schilling says the prices should be approved by their board in the coming weeks. And like I said, this affects customers with a standard service offer or the default, you know, uh, offer. So people not affected are people in community aggregations like NOPEC or if you've purchased your electricity from other suppliers. So wholesale electricity auction prices are kind of to blame here. They were really high when they were buying electricity in October, January, and March. First Energy is now paying 101 dollars per megawatt hour. That's up from $53 per megawatt hour now. So they got hit in the auction process. Well, it's funny because I got my NOPEC letter yesterday and I've always opted out. I hate the fact that you have to take an action not to be swallowed up by OPEC, but this time I'm going to stay in. I looked at the website that they have where you can compare prices and it's pretty confusing. You really, well, they list all the rates, but you don't know what strings are attached. And with NOPEC, you know, you have somebody that's that's working on your behalf. I've gotten some communication from readers who were furious about the opt-out. And I've said to them, yeah, 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 I get it. I've been furious about it too. But you might want to not do it this time because this is going to be very expensive. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with a constellation. I think that I, I get locked in for like three years at a time. And I think my price is like 6.5 cents per kilowatt hour. So. Well, and the beauty of NOPEC is you can get out at any time with no fee. So if if people don't take any action, because many of us are in NOPEC communities, they're not going to get hit with the sticker shock. You're going to have to be proactive to pay more. And as Rich Exner points out frequently, he's one of our editors, this is just for the power. You're still paying a huge fee to First Energy to transmit that power to your house. And there's nothing you can do about that. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, you played a key role at the Women's Summit yesterday. I think you moderated half the forums. <laughs> How many people attended and was it a success? It was really successful and a lot of fun to be part of. There were more than 300 people that came, more than 36 speakers, and just like a great 
positive energy throughout the day. Danielle Wiggins from Channel 3, she's a morning show host. She was like kicking us off with lots of energy and then really interesting panels about networking, boss ladies, overcoming adversity, and uh, women in the construction industry, which I found fascinating. So really good conversations and then some networking opportunities. And it was held at Cleveland State in their student center, which it was a beautiful day, right? And we had the benefit of this rooftop terrace. So it was really nice to get some outdoor networking in April in Ohio. I was very happy to be there. And it sounds like our very own Mary Kay Cabot got the biggest round of applause as her name was introduced because everybody loves Mary Kay Cabot and her fans are boarding. It was a great conversation between Mary Kay, Ashley Baystock, and um, Callie, and I'm going to forget her last name, um, who is a coach for the Browns. And it was so neat talking how she just was able to achieve something she never thought she would. She kind of thought high school would be the highest that she'd ever be able to go because of women in the NFL was not common, right? And so, um, sorry, Kelly Brownson, assistant wide receivers coach. And so she made, she and, and Ashley and Mary Kay predicted within three or four years, she is going to be a head coach, probably the first head coach of the NFL. So if that comes true, that would be really cool. Yeah, the the events team that we have working in our in our company really is doing a great job with events. We've had a series of them now that that people seem like they get something out of and enjoy a good bit and it's well attended. This is what the third year and it's uh, this, this is, is the, the first fourth year. year and the first time we've done it all day. It was mentoring Monday before and we did have to do it virtually the first year because it was during the pandemic that I remember doing it. Um, but this was a full day, the first time we've done that. And I think people really appreciated the extra time. So yeah, I think the big next event um, is we have top workplaces, which is in June. That's a big deal. But before that, we have senior standouts, which that was the first time last year we had it at the Agora and all these high schoolers and their families, there was a step and repeat. There was like really cool videos and people were just really excited to be there. So it is nice to interact with the people that your coverage affects all the time. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Quick update. The discussion we had earlier, the activists in Akron have filed suit over the spraying of the tear gas and they're seeking an injunction against the Akron police from using tear gas anymore. Turns out that the Ohio official who used tax dollars to buy a wildebeest has had other exotic beasties and gotten into trouble over them. Layla, what's the story? So this this appears to be Vinton County's own Tiger King. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> Joe Exotic's got nothing on this guy. He's he's the township's former fiscal officer, Cyril v- Vierstra, who legally changed his name to the mononym Psy, which is apropos of being a weirdo who keeps exotic animals, I guess. But back in February, he was criminally charged and sentenced to four years and 11 months in prison after a special audit by Keith Faber's office found that he stole $310,000 from Vinton County to fund his exotic animal sanctuary called the Union Ridge Wildlife Center in the village of Wilkesville. That's in Southeast Ohio. Cy used township money to purchase a wildebeest, two snow owls from England, an animal trailer, animal food, and then, you know, the other standard stuff that you'd need to run an animal sanctuary, like five hot tubs, a drone, a popcorn cart, a snow cone machine, kayaks, 
telescopes, an above-ground swimming pool, a gaming system, a projector and projector screen, and other stuff like that. So over the last four and a half months, the Ohio Department of Agriculture has been removing animals. They removed 10 dangerous and wild animals, eight primates, and of course, two tigers. And they've been sent to sanctuaries in Minnesota and Florida. At one point, he had 21 animals. Uh, but reporter Laura Hancock says it's unclear what happened to the wildebeest or the snow owls. And, you know, Ohio law prohibits people from owning dangerous and wild animals like this. But it turns out that Cy actually had a state license to do it. It, it, you know, however, his license expired in December and the state didn't let him renew it. But he also had a current license with the USDA and was found to be in compliance at the time of his last inspection in October. So that's surprising. I, I guess there's just a, a, an underground trade in America of exotic animals. I, I wouldn't even know where to go to buy a tiger. And yet we know people do it all the time. And and primates. I mean, wh- where would you go to do that? <laughs> Why are you asking me? <laughs> what, I remember well, the beginning of the pandemic when that Joe Exotic, the Tiger King, was on, yeah. and that's all anybody could talk about was, was like I know this, Tiger King. And this guy does. I, I wish you know this is like the time when I wish we still ran uh, mug shots because I so want to know if this guy's got a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pickering like a big handlebar mustache. Yeah, right, right. The the other interesting thing about this story is that according to PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, there was a somewhat famous chimpanzee named Tonka who had appeared in movies and PETA had fought to have this chimp taken to a sanctuary called Save the Chimps. And the former owner of Tonka claimed that Tonka had died, but PETA believes that he was actually brought to Size Wildlife Center instead. So PETA, in trying to figure out what happened to Tonka, became involved in filing formal complaints against Sai. I, I, that was such an interesting part of the story. <laughs> Bizarre. So. And the use of tax dollars in the background. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for Friday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. Have a great weekend. We'll be back Monday.